welcome back to The Dark Side. I'm your host, Brianna. And I'm Dyson. And this is Dark Adaptation. Episode 49, the first episode of 2023. Woo! Yeah! Here we go again, baby. Buckle up. <laughs> Happy New Year. I know when this episode comes out, it will be like January 9th or something, but we took two weeks off. Yeah. We, we hadn't taken any time off unless it was like because we were really deadly ill, and that was like one time. And it was the holidays, so we wanted to be with our families and each other for Christmas and everything. And I don't know, I feel like I feel like it was it was a good little rest. Yeah, we needed it for sure. I procrastinated this episode far too long. It's um almost ten on the day before the episode comes out. Let me 10 tell you, PM. I was on her ass for a week. What? I was like, let's go bitch the people are waiting and you're fucking just sitting there who are you take a pill get peppy write it down and she started crying and i was like there is no fucking crying in true crime okay none none (laughs) what Okay, so apparently 2023 is year of aggression, Dyson. It's always year of aggression with me. I gotta, I gotta break it to you. Oh my god, yeah. It, I take a pill. <laughs> I take pills. <laughs> me too. It's like Tylenol. <laughs> I, I, I'm a, I'm a pill gal. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, I like to party. I like party. My name's Dyson, and I like to party. Go ahead. What's your okay? You want to lead this? Okay. Thank you for joining us today. Excuse me, I gotta get situated. What's first on the agenda? True crime. No, it's not first on the agenda. You know what is first on the agenda? What? Our friends. Thank you, Dyson. So, because we were off for a couple of weeks, um, and we had recorded the last episode was with Paige, and. At the beginning of December, it was our one-year anniversary, and Spoils of Horror sent us a little message to be like, yo, oh my god, one year, that's great, and that's verbatim. <laughs> <laughs> but because we had recorded um, already for December, we didn't include it yet, mm-hmm. and then we took time off. And also, December is a fucking busy-ass month, so. Yeah. Um, either way, it's a really nice message. We're going to play it here in a minute, and... I think it's still suitable. It's our first episode of 2023. It's like a nice, really positive way to like kick it off. Of course it's fucking suitable. I was listening to that and I was like, <laughs> that's very touching actually. It's very lovely. Fuck you guys for making me feel my own feelings. Yeah, he he punched a wall after. Ugh, where's my cold pizza? And then he was like, dear diary. Babe, get me a Coors Light. <laughs> Babe, play the message. Okay. Hey, Leo. Hey, Steven. Do you remember our anniversary episode? Oh, that was a long time ago, but I remember it being a good memory, yes. It's amazing how it was so long ago, yet I've kept my beautiful voice 
and you've gotten so much older. This is uh, allergies. This is... <laughs> <laughs> should be all right in a moment. <laughs> oh, that's right. You're just sickly. That's right. <laughs> I'm not that old. I'm just really, really not healthy. We've learned so much <laughs> since our anniversary episode. That's true. We have. We learned that uh, another week has gone by. We we've learned how to manage our time a little better. Yes, we have. We've learned Uh, that we hate each other a little bit more every single day. It's true. That's why the recordings are a little more spaced apart now. Right. (laughs) By one year, we just do (laughs) fifty-two episodes uh, once a year. Well, I bet you don't know this, Mm. but our friends Dyson and Brianna over at Dark Adaption are celebrating their one-year episode. What? It's crazy. Look at them right on our heels. And they have a different kind of show. Their show focuses on actual information and real (laughs) facts and details. Which they cover very, very well. We just make dick jokes talking about movies. Right, yeah. (laughs) We're two dicks. They're two professionals. They are two professionals. They have done such a great job over the last year. I've really been enjoying their show. I think everybody knows this because I've talked about it so many times. I really enjoy their show on the uh, Halifax Explosion. Absolutely. That, that was one of my absolute favorites. But they have lots of great ones, and they cover all sorts of different things. I'll be honest, and I don't say this lightly, I have yet to be disappointed by one of their shows. Yeah, no, they're really great. I wonder sometimes if we're going to ever get some shit from them, because we do sometimes crack a little jo- a couple jokes about astrology. I don't and know every- what you mean. <laughs> and they do do some <laughs> astrology on their show. So I'm I don't I don't know if uh, if they're doing some sort of curse on us or something like that that for every one of our jokes about astrology we're gonna get something uh, back at us. But I'm not sure if they know my sign. But it would I'm explain. never telling them. I was gonna say it's probably best if we keep that in a locker. I dated a girl who was an astrologer. <laughs> I know my rising sign, my moon sign. Uh, I know all of it. I don't, and I'm good with that. I, <laughs> I don't know where I, I know where my voodoo doll is because I keep that locked up so nobody else can get their hands on it. Otherwise, I have I, I don't know any of that shit. I just go day by day, and I think I exist mostly because I'm too stupid to realize how sick and weird I am. So I just move forward as if life is fine. The I, the way you talk about yourself with a voodoo doll, sick, weird, <laughs> astrology sign, Dark Adaption is one day going to be a show that is about you. <laughs> uh, future goals. <laughs> I told you I'd be a guest on your show. You just didn't know how. <laughs> Three-part episode. The Murders of Leo. <laughs> if that is your real name. Well, congratulations to our friends over at Dark Adaption. One of these days, we're, we're going to do a collaboration together. We'll I promise. Out. We know enough about true crime that we can do it. You know enough about horror films we can do it. Let's make it happen. You guys are genuinely the best all the actual time. And I want you to know that because uh, I don't speak up enough about it. But I should. I do tell people about you. Then I tell them good things about your show. Oh, and by the way, you're welcome for the Smutty Nose Murders, because I fed you that story. I fed you that story, and I got another one I'm going to feed you too soon. All right, see you later. Congratulations on one year! Wow. So nice.
nice. And as if the message wasn't nice enough, that music really was like, oh, let's yeah. go. Yeah, I felt like I was going to get like a timeshare out of that. It was beautiful. <laughs> timeshare. <laughs> the only catch with that is that Leo lives in your basement. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. I could do that. Do I have to feed him too? Do I got to toss like some raw meat down there? Oh, no, you don't want to know what he eats. Is it ass? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's Steven. <laughs> Love you, Steven. Yeah, you guys are great. Actually, you guys, as we were listening to that, I realized how great you guys were because I just put together our like template for our audio recordings whenever we boot up our computer to start. And there's a dedicated spoils a horror track in every single episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, you guys, we gotta share the love. Yeah. They probably have a dedicated dark adaptation track in theirs. Yeah. You know what it made me think? Is there a fucking astrology themed horror movie? Because I feel like that's Blue Ocean right now. Okay. Well, you see, that was what I was going to say whenever we collaborate, which, by the way, should be our 2023 goal. Yeah. They're on our show and we're on their show because I do know a lot about horror movies. Yeah. You can ride my coattails, Dyson. That's like, fine. That's fine. You're still I have opinions. New. You have opinions and no one will. They let me vote now. Okay. Well, <laughs> um, I bet there is like a really bad like B movie about Zodiac signs. I there, mean, like there's fuck, like literally got... the movie Zodiac, but it's not really about astrology. No, no. much to my chagrin. But. I mean, there's like one or two movies about like the seven fucking deadly sins. There should be one about the 12 astrology signs, Zodiac signs. Oh, that'd be fucking awesome. I hope there's like a really bad b movie or something we can cover yeah and then we should do that but we definitely have to do like a b movie mm -hmm. if we go on spoils of horror like something really bad but great like ice cream man yeah i was just <laughs> thinking that and we both know exactly what i feel like we are well first of all everyone should know that i did not watch a single fuck like i would never watch a fucking horror movie until we were together and then now i can't get enough of them <laughs> And I'm be I'm slowly all, all I watch. I'm slowly becoming like a quintessuer of, of of horror right down to the B movies, and we both have our favorite fucking scene from Ice Cream Man. Yeah, the it's, head on a fucking it's ice the cream head cone. in the ice cream cone. That's the ice cream cone that is the size of a small child. Yes, that large ass ice cream cone, yeah. and how proud that man is. <laughs> I fucking love that movie. Um. That was a really nice message. And, and like them cracking jokes with astrology and stuff is like fine because I totally understand. Honestly, most people talking about astrology is annoying because mm -hmm. it, it's like, oh, my God, you don't exactly know what you're talking about. But we only do it if Steph is on the show and she fucking knows what she's talking yeah, about. Yeah, she's like actually. And like she could it. talk like just fucking talk anyone under the table when it comes to astrology. Mm -hmm. But I appreciate a good astrology joke. Plus, Steven gets away with making jokes about astrology because he also knows stuff about it since he said he dated that girl who yeah. knows astrology. So, like, he actually makes funny jokes about it. Um, even in a recent episode, uh, The Human Centipede, they covered The Human Centipede, which was a really great episode. He makes jokes about, like, moon signs and stuff. Like, mm -hmm. it's funny. So yeah. he can get away with it because he knows. But Leo... Specifically, yeah. your aura is really bringing us down right now. Okay. I think all he needs is like a fucking cough drop or something because he sounded like Gandalf the Grey at the beginning. 
<laughs> but I guess you would have a really raspy voice if you recorded 52 episodes in one sitting. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Since they only meet once a year now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was a really, really great message. Steven, um, send me your recommendation. You said that you were going to give me another one. I want it. What is it? Maybe that's the one that we can it's cover. The second Smutty Nose Murder. <laughs> Smutty Nose 2. Uh, fuck, I was going to think of something really... I panicked. I panicked! I don't know. Well, you got Smutty Nose and you can have Itch Ass. Itch Ass? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> itch Ass. <laughs> I was like, well, fucking Smutty Nose is upsetting, Dave. What else can I use? Itch Ass. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to cover the movie Itch Ass. I bet it exists. No, but seriously, Steven should send us that suggestion, and then when they come on the show, we can do that one, and then when we go on their show, we can do something Mm -hmm. really bad Mm -hmm. and great. Yeah. That was awesome. Thank you, Spoils of Horror. Love you guys. Um, Like they said, we are like right behind them with their anniversary, Mm -hmm. and their show is amazing. Everyone listen to them. It's so good. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think we should move on because I'll just keep going. Spoils of Next horror. subject. Next subject. Next subject. Okay. So for today's episode, it's the first of three parts. And it's the murders of Leo. <laughs> right. I heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the newspaper tomorrow. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't think I've ever done a three-parter. I've done two-parters. Yeah, and we had our, our four city series, but they were all individual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's technically four parts then. Mm. For real, though, what do you know about the Great Lakes? Oh, uh, well, I think you uh, mean to call them the Finger Lakes. Oh. And they are a Finger. gorgeous body of water that many dinosaurs have peed in. Mm. And they were formed by glaciers eons ago which i don't know what eons means but it sounds particularly uh enticing and they're cold most of the time (laughs) why do you think they're so cold well you see (laughs) they just feel to be that way they just don't want to be hot. They're not attractive. They're not trying to be showy lakes. You know, they're not like that dumbass one in in Russia that's like extra deep. It's like the deepest in the world. Things are so fucking hot right now. The finger lakes, they're just there, you know, and you're like, that's some nice fucking finger lakes. I'm. They're like, you know, lakes. They're lakes. Yeah. They're, um, that was a long answer I wasn't expecting. You're welcome. I have also, everyone, we've been swimming in dinosaur pee. Yeah. Um. Okay, <laughs> well. I wanted to see if I could throw you off. Yeah, I did. So there's five finger lakes. <laughs> oh, okay. They're all interconnected. Uh, did you know that combined they hold 20% of the world's fresh water? Fresh surface water? Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh. Some other facts here about uh, water. <laughs> We are a nautical-themed podcast. I know. Okay, yeah. Because of their depth and size and weather, they're often called inland seas. Mm. But they're not technically a sea because if you're technically a sea, you have salt water. 
So they're freshwater, so they're just a fucking lake. But yeah. that's how big and crazy they are. Yeah. And um, yeah, the sixty-eight uh, percent of the freshwater on Earth is found in ice caps and glaciers. So uh, having twenty percent just right here is it's kind of a it's a lot. It's kind of a big deal. It is. Like, we would be invaded in water world for sure. For sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah. How many shipwrecks are in the Great Lakes? Oh, fucking so many. Well, first of all, there's the Edmund Fitzgerald. That's one. That's one. Write that down. What lake is that in? Write that down. Um, that's in um, Erie. Superior. Superior. Wow. My second guess. Okay, so how many do you, shipwrecks do you think there are? 1,000? More? <laughs> 1,001. <laughs> there's over 6,000 vessels. Holy shit. Which have claimed an estimated 30,000 lives. Oh. So there's potentially 30,000 uh, bodies in oh, there. Oh, right. Because you're not, uh, you're not allowed to, like, I heard that, like, some of them, like, you're not allowed to dive down anymore because you're disturbing a grave site. Yeah. That's only if, yeah, that is true. Like the Fitzgerald, for example, because mm -hmm. it is technically a gravesite and it's also disrespectful because a lot of the times the the shipwrecks aren't found until years later. So the bodies have been in the wreck and there's really no point in removing them. Yeah. Um, Which is actually really cool. Why do you think the bodies stay perfectly preserved in there? Oh, I actually know this because okay. I watched a YouTube video. Actually, several. It was oddly addicting. Mm -hmm. It was... I forget her name, but she's like a mortician and she goes to all these crazy places. And she oh, went, isn't it she, literally ask a mortician? I think it might be. Yeah. Yeah. I've and, heard of that. Yeah. And she was like, well, like you go down that deep, like there's not really, it's so cold. It's preserving it. And the bacteria can't really mm -hmm. form to do anything. Yeah. And the bacteria she, can't live down there. Yeah. It was fucking wild. So then yeah, you're just, you get completely preserved because as you are, dying like your body is dying and decaying your fat moves to the surface of your skin and then you the fat dies and sort of hardens so then you look like uh, i think it's called sop sopification or sopification oh is that the white guy the um yeah. the guy that they found in the fish so I, anyone wondering there was the whole oh this is a gravesite you're not allowed to dive down there mm -hmm. um the fitzgerald had a particularly public uh, issuance of that because some uh documentarian documentarian yeah went, went down there and he, he captured footage of some some of the crew me members and they were the family was like you douchebag um yeah and they they were talking about like one of them was like white yes yeah i think he's literally called like the white man or white, white old man whitey. on the stairs or something old like whitey that. or something this is mean. Old whitey. Yo, if I die, you better not call me old gingy. Mm, no promises. <laughs> right. But yeah, so I don't know if, I don't think every shipwreck is like forbidden from diving, mm -hmm. but that Fitzgerald definitely is. Um, yeah, so 6,000 vessels are estimated to be in the Great Lakes. And uh, what do you think is the most dangerous Great Lake? Um, well, I'm going to go with Superior? No, it's no. actually Lake Michigan. Oh. How many shipwrecks are in Lake Michigan? 1,500? Yeah, approximately 1,500. Woo! I guess that, because of all the gun violence, right? 
Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) So how many aircraft wrecks do you think are in the Great Lakes total? Not just like Michigan. Oh, I really didn't think of that ever. Uh, Five. (laughs) It could be. I have no idea Um, (laughs) what the grand total is for all of the Great Lakes. But according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, there's about 300 military aircraft in the in the Great Lakes. That's just military. Oh, wow. And nearly 200 of those are in Lake Michigan. And some have been recovered, but there's approximately 120 that still lie on the bottom of Lake Michigan. Yeah, like one of them that they pulled out was the Avro Arrow. That was in there for a while. Mm-hmm. Don't know why we canceled that program. <laughs> anyway. Lake Michigan is the third largest Great Lake by area, but the second largest by volume. And it's the only one that is entirely in the United States. Mm. Lake Michigan contains more shipwrecks than any other Great Lake, including the oldest recorded shipwreck and the deadliest recorded. So the oldest is the French ship Le Griffin, and that was the first European vessel to sail the Great Lakes, and it vanished with all six crew members in 1679, and nobody knows what happened to it. This wreck has never been found. That sucks because there's no way they would know, like how fucking rough the Great Lakes. You said like you, everyone's seen it. You stand, you go visit the Great Lakes. You're like, it's calm, normal, and then some fucking bad weather happens, and you see, you're like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a fucking ocean. That's, that's a, a fucking ocean a with sea. fresh water in it. It's an inland sea. Yeah. The deadliest wreck was on July 24th, 1915, when the Eastland left Chicago with 2,500 Western Electric employees and their families for a company cruise. Leaving her berth, she rolled over and 835 people died. Jesus Christ. Yes, that's the deadliest wreck, and that was in Lake Michigan. So tons of ships have wrecked, gone missing, what have you, to the point that Lake Michigan has its share of ghost ships, like Alpina, Alpena, which sank in October of 1880, killing 80 people. And to this day, people still see Alpina headed towards Chicago. There's actually two of them. Penai? Yeah, Alpinae. <laughs> Alpin- Jesus. <laughs> You know how you know it's coming, right? Oh! <laughs> is that a squall? That was an accidental joke because I was going to say you can smell the salsa in the air. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say the semen. <laughs> okay. So, because of tales like this and many more that we will get into soon, Lake Michigan has a reputation of being very dangerous. But why is it so dangerous? Is it just the weather? Is it the fact that she's technically a sea? Maybe it's not as simple as that. Maybe it's something more mysterious. Mm. Something connected to the Lake Michigan Triangle. Oh, no. An area of the lake known for its sinking ships, disappearing crews, lost aircraft, and paranormal activity. I didn't realize we had a triangle around. I'm always nervous when we have a triangle around us. We do. I don't like it. There's a dude, and his name is Charles Burlitz, and he was the first to propose the name, the Michigan Triangle. Mm. And 
it's simply because he was a huge proponent of the Bermuda Triangle. I figured. And he felt that Lake Michigan was governed by similar forces. Okay. So he called it the Lake Michigan Triangle. Mm -hmm. So you're probably like, cool, Lake Michigan is quite large. Where is this triangle? Where is this triangle? (laughs) So... Here you go, Dyson. This is my laptop, and this is a photo. Oh. I, I took a screenshot of Google Maps, and I used a ruler. It's um, a rhombus. And I'm. it's not a rhombus. It's a, it's a triangle. I thought a rhombus was the type of triangle. No. It's an oblong triangle. Okay, shut up. <laughs> this, <laughs> I took a screenshot of Google of Google Maps, made a triangle. So up here at the top of the triangle is Ludington, Michigan. That forms the first point of the triangle. Mm -hmm. And it's on the east side for our um, listeners. It's on the east side of Lake Michigan. Mm -hmm. And then you head roughly 140 miles south Mm -hmm. to the second point of the triangle, which is Benton Harbor, Michigan. Okay. So then that makes the first side of the triangle. Right. And then from Benton Harbor, Michigan, you head approximately 200 miles north-northwest across the lake to the west side. So that takes us to the third point, which is Manitowoc, Wisconsin. And that forms the second side of the triangle. And then to complete the triangle, you go back across the lake to Ludington, which is about 70 miles from Manitowoc to Ludington. Oh, thank God. I thought you were going to be like, to complete the triangle, please proceed by finishing the Pythagorean theorem, which you haven't used since grade nine. Okay, I love how you don't know that a rhombus is not a triangle, but you know that the Pythagorean theorem is associated with triangles. Yes. Okay, great. I had a very, very confusing report card when I was a kid. (laughs) You're getting a really confusing report card with me. Well, you know, can't win them all. <laughs> yeah. So that makes our little obtuse triangle non-oblong. Let me tell you, I do feel obtuse. <laughs> so it's like a, um, I don't know, how would you describe that? It's just a triangle. Yeah, Lake Michigan is a, is a very wiener-like looking lake pointing downwards. It's very flaccid, not to be confused with Lake Placid. And it goes... From the top point on the right side, from the almost the very top, straight down towards the tip, and then right back up towards the base in the front on the west side. And there you go. You're welcome. Wow. So, Dyson, are you ready to find out why people believe that the Lake Michigan Triangle is truly a spooky, mysterious place? Absolutely. If not for anything but my own preservation. Great. Um, everyone strap in because we got uh, a long, turbulent ride ahead of us. It's going to be a jam-packed episode. Woo! There are tons of stories, experiences, what have you, related to the Lake Michigan Triangle. So I've picked a range of happenings to show the variety of weird things that have occurred. And I've laid them out chronologically by date, starting with the story that really began the legend of the Lake Michigan Triangle. All right. On May 21st, 1890... The three-masted lumber schooner, the Thomas Hume, 
set sail as she regularly did across Lake Michigan from Chicago, Illinois, toward her home port in Muskegon, Michigan. She was in the company of another ship, the Rouse Simmons, a.k.a. the Christmas tree ship. Oh. And uh, it's called the Christmas tree ship because it supplied Chicago with Christmas trees from the Upper Michigan Peninsula. That's not the only thing they supplied. What else? The Christmas spirit. Of course. And Yule Tidings for all. Yes. Thank you for fact-checking that. You're welcome. So as the two ships entered the triangle, the weather began to turn. It was getting very windy. The Rouse Simmons turned back to Chicago, but the Thomas Hume continued on and vanished. No. Despite being made of wood, no debris from the schooner was ever found. Nothing washed ashore. There was just no sign of her. She was gone. And there were seven crewmen on board, and they vanished. They were never seen. Mm -hmm. Ironically, 22 years later, in November 1912, the Christmas tree ship also vanished into the triangle. Then, over a year after the Christmas tree ship vanished, Christmas trees began washing ashore. Oh, that's so fucking eerie. A year, over a year later. Oh. <laughs> and then over a decade later, a fisherman found the wallet of the ship's captain in his fishing net. What the flying fuck? Yeah. Oh. A message in a bottle from the Christmas tree no. ship washed ashore in Sheboygan, Mich Sheboygan, Wisconsin. And it had been corked using a small piece of cut pine tree. And the message read, quote, Friday, everybody, goodbye. I guess we are all through. During the night, the small boat washed overboard, leaking bad. Invald and Steve lost too. God help us. Oh, my God. Oh, that's so upsetting. Imagine Christmas at a Christmas tree. <laughs> well, if you were on the shore, you might have got one a year later. All right. 59 years after she sunk in 1971, the Rouse Simmons wreckage was found by a scuba diver who was looking for a totally different wreck. Mm -hmm. So they recovered the Rouse Simmons. But then for nearly a century, there's no trace of the Thomas Hume, which disappeared even before the Rouse Simmons did. And there was finally a trace found in the 1990s when A&T Recovery of Chicago discovered an intact schooner on the bottom of Lake Michigan. A&T Recovery works out of Chicago, and they work alongside the National Naval Aviation Museum and the Naval History and Heritage Command. So they're out there looking for old historical wrecks and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So there was a trio of divers, and they explored the wreck for a few years. And even though everyone strongly felt that the wreck was the Thomas Hume, there was nothing about the ship that could positively identify it. So they always kept it in the back of their mind. Like, they want to know where the Thomas Hume went. They think they found it, but they still had a lot of work cut out for them. Mm -hmm. So by 2009, so like... <laughs> A fucking long ass time since mm -hmm. the 1990s, the divers and a nonprofit called the Michigan Shipwreck Research Association, the MSRA, which I'll talk about a few times throughout this episode, they began to work together to really get to the bottom of it. Is this a Thomas Hume or not? And they went to count, like they went through countless dives 
into this wreck to explore it, to examine the wreckage, and then they would compare what they found in the wreckage to old records and newspaper articles, and then they finally felt comfortable identifying it, and it was the Thomas Hume. Okay. And they know this just based on um, what lumber ships were, what was described in the newspapers um, construction-wise. They knew it was a clipper schooner. This was the Thomas Hume. Mm -hmm. So after 118 years, they identified her. And amazingly, she was in like beautiful condition. Pristine condition. She's just sitting at the bottom of the lake, upright, just in her glory. The only thing. Proper lady. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing is that the three masts are lying starboard. So it, it. Looks like the ship, when it got into like the strong winds or whatever, maybe tipped on its side and sank. Yeah. But she's sitting perfectly upright. You want to see a photo? Absolutely. So this is a photo taken 118 years she's been sitting there. I love seeing like old shit in the water, like old wreckage and stuff. It's so gorgeous. It scares the crap out of me and yet it's so beautiful. I can't help it. So this is the front of her. Turn my brightness up. Uh, oh, yeah, I see it. I'm someone who has my brightness all the way down because old woman eyes. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, it's like a quintessential ghost ship right there. That's the front of her. You can see, like, here there's, like, the anchor. Mm -hmm. And then this is artifacts inside. Like, you can perfectly see, like, oh, a yeah. jar. How did glass. that shit not break? Yeah, they're, like, sitting upright and everything. And, right? It looks like they're still perfectly sitting on oh, a shelf. Yo, I have questions about whether that thing tipped over though. i know that's what's so weird because look look at her she's perfectly sitting upright upright yeah. and over here like this is where the masts are yeah okay, you can see I that see one it. but like that could just have Snapped. fallen over while it's being underwater yep like look at her it looks like it just parked yeah it's perfectly rested the only thing that's tipped here is there's one jar that's tipped but mm -hmm. that's 118 years later yeah, that's amazing. I know. Crazy. Would you eat whatever's in the jar? Probably. Yeah, me too. I'm a hungry woman. I'm not scared of botulism. Botulism's scared of me. <laughs> <laughs> I actually love the word botulism. It's a great word, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, babies can get botulism if they eat honey before they're one years old. Babies are weak. <laughs> <laughs> He's like Dwight Schrute. Babies are weak. All right. So we have another ship, the Rosabelle. She also fell victim to the Lake Michigan Triangle. Before we continue, did the Rosabelle by any chance have like a ship after that? The Rosabelle? Yeah. Was there like a second ship after this one sunk? S certainly not. There's no baby bell. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> The Rosabelle was a wooden two-masted schooner built in 1863 in Milwaukee at a cost of $4,500. Dyson? 1863? Yeah. USD. Who the fuck am I? American money. USD. USD. <laughs> USD. Eighteen. <laughs> 45... <th> oh. <laughs> 4500 What 4, is that? 4500 Okay. I was... I'm going to say... Twelve thousand dollars. No. 
way above? The sh- this schooner was built. It's way above that. 40? No. Uh, $700,000. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> $4,500 USD. In 1863, is over 106000 today. Holy tits. Anyway, in 1919, <laughs> the vessel was owned by the House of David in Benton Harbor, Michigan. I don't if, like that. If you'll remember, Benton Harbor is the bottom tip of the triangle. Yeah. So, Benton, uh, House of David, they used the Rosabelle to bring supplies to High Island, for the House of David, where they had a lumber enterprise. Now, you're probably like, what's the House of David? What's the House of David? Well, the House of David is a religious group founded in Benton Harbor, Michigan, in May 1903 by a husband and wife, and they considered themselves among the 144,000, quote, which were redeemed from the earth, end quote, according to Revelations 14.3. I have botulism. <laughs> Okay, I gotta show you something. Because as soon as I, because I was like looking it up, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what the hell is the House of David? I'm confused. Who the fuck is David? What does this look like to you? Oh God, it's the bro- Branch Davidians. <laughs> right. Yeah. It yeah, looks like. Show me again, actually. Give me, give me a good look at that. I need to drink that. It looks in. like you're trying to be converted. Hit baseball. <laughs> baseball <laughs> what the fuck are the titles amusement park baseball trains music about our faith friends photo gallery current projects all right so the house of david is obviously a very small religious group aka a cult i'm just saying sorry my opinion don't come for me the no, come for me the house of david I'm aggressive this year yeah i know i think it's okay the house of david built houses they bought farmland and raised fruits vegetables and dairy cattle and in a characteristically astute move benjamin (laughs) (laughs) benjamin is the husband of the husband and wife duo Mm -hmm. that founded it so old benji he decided that the best way to foster good public relations was to provide public entertainment so he built so in his little uh, high island he built an amusement park, a wooded paradise where families could stroll, ride the miniature steam trains built by colony members, eat delicious homemade ice cream, buy concession souvenirs, watch the famous House of David baseball team in action, and perhaps pick up a few pamphlets to learn about the faith. Oh, yeah. Get hopeless, hopelessly dissolved into the cult. That's fine. Tourists came by the thousands on steamers from Chicago across Lake Michigan, by train, by bus, and later by car. There was music everywhere. They were singing hymns. They sung popular tunes, jazz, quartets. Everybody in this uh, little colony of men and women performed. And the House of David is still around today, mm-hmm. but their little island isn't this like amusement park, essentially. Yeah. It's private it's a residential religious community and it's not currently open to the public because they say it's like under construction or something but still around it's under construction air quotes yeah so not stockpiling guns air quotes oh my gosh the exit's not under the bus air quotes (laughs) (laughs) so that uh, was a little rabbit hole i went down when i was like 
the house of david what the fuck is the house of david you would find a cult by accident yeah i had to know what i'm talking about here the funniest thing is you fucking hate going into cults i do i actually don't enjoy it at all no um i just i can't control my rage yeah i don't i just don't understand it but anyway that's um just a little side piece here for the house of david so, Rosabelle, that ship, owned by the House of David. Mm-hmm. On October 30th, 1921, there was 11 members of the House of David, and they boarded the Rosabelle, and they had it loaded with lumber, because they had a lumber enterprise. They had to take it back to the island. Mm-hmm. So, a few days later, the Rosabelle was found upside down, bobbing in the waves. Oh. There was no signs of the 11 people that had been on board. The ship had damage that appeared to have been caused by a collision with another boat because it was like pretty substantial damage. Mm -hmm. But the Coast Guard examined the ship and he determined that it it didn't appear consistent with a collision. Plus, he's the Coast Guard and no other ship reported being in an accident. And with that much damage, your boat that collided with it would be fucked too. Pretty fucking hard to... To yeah. hide, yeah. So um, it would have been, like I said, a significant collision, especially because the Rose Bell capsized. It was upside down. They hit the Bermuda Triangle. Michigan. The, the Michi- they hit the <laughs> Michigan Triangle. Sorry. <laughs> it's fine. In my head, I'm still going to picture clearly Lake Michigan Triangle, but I'm still going to call it a Bermuda Triangle. I mean, maybe it's like a portal maybe it leads to the bermuda triangle wouldn't that be fucking nuts wouldn't it, how scared would you be if christmas trees just started floating up in the bermuda triangle it'd be fucking bizarre i would love it a year later christmas trees washed ashore okay <laughs> so the 11 people that were on board the Rosabelle weren't the only thing missing the y'all was nowhere to be found the y'all is like a small little boat that's on the schooner mm-hmm like a little passenger boat. Yeah. Um, we I don't know if the boat was even if the all was even with the ship when Roosevelt left. Um, was it originally on the Roosevelt and it drifted away during the capsize? Mm-hmm. Did the eleven members take off in the little boat because they knew their boat was going down? Mm-hmm. Even then, where the fuck it. did they go? This tiny. Y'all was never found. The 11 members are never found. That's so frustrating because, like, you'll never know, right? No, like, you it's won't. It's common that, like, not common, but, like, it happens where people don't put the fucking, I didn't know it was called a y'all. <laughs> I think it could be called different things, but in this yeah. case, the Rosabelle had a y'all. Y'all. I like it. And if the Rosabelle did flip over in a collision with another boat and no other boats reported hitting anything, no other boats seemed to have any sort of damage... What the fuck did it hit in the middle of the lake? This lake yeah. is—it's like it's the second lo- deepest, yeah, of the lakes. Like, what the fuck did it hit? Yeah. If it wasn't another ship, it's so creepy. Uh, obviously, they have no idea what caused the Rosebell to capsize. They just see damage and think like, oh, I don't know. It looks like it hit another ship, but it also doesn't look like it hit another ship. Mm-hmm. So they just assume that it was caught in a gale. Yeah, and the, the other thing that's bugging me, I was like, well, maybe it hit a rock near the shore. Because, like, the Fitzgerald was kind of near shore when it sunk and all that kind of stuff. You could hit a rock. But the fucker was floating 
upside down, just bobbing around. It would have yeah. been on the shore. Yeah, so, this was yeah, in the what middle. What the fuck happened? It's crazy. So, like, I don't know. I guess there was a gale and the strong wind just tipped it over. Nice gale. The thing that's really creepy about this, though, is that the Rosabelle had been recently rebuilt because in the 19th century, the late 19th century, she was involved in a very similar accident with like similar damage and that the similar damage that has occurred in this 1921 accident Mm -hmm. has taken it out and capsized it whereas a few years before she well 20 years before Mm -hmm. she had been involved in an accident that mirrored this one looked identical oh my god isn't that creepy that is actually really creepy that's all that's i don't like it when people start like telling stories about ships and you see that there was a fate tied Mm -hmm. to it and you're like why is it always the boats why yeah why is there a fate to this fucking thing inside the michigan the lake michigan triangle the 11 people are never seen again imagine you're another like schooner or whatever freighter what kind of boat you're in doesn't matter and you just see a fucking schooner capsized bobbing up and down in the waves that has to be such an upsetting view. And there's no sign of anybody. Yeah, like no one's... Just just picture it. If you're listening to this podcast, just picture you going for a leisurely walk along the water and you see a fucking upside down fall of a ship. I don't even think you would know what you were looking at. You would shit yourself. You'd be like, You'd is there be a like, giant that's... boulder? I don't understand. Yeah, what the fuck is that? Oh. evening of April 28, 1937 was a cold one, and a blood-red moon hung high above the O.S. McFarland, a freighter transporting over 9,000 tons of coal to a power plant in Port Washington, Wisconsin. 57-year-old Captain George R. Donner safely guided the freighter through the chilly Lake Michigan waters, which was still frozen in parts. Captain Donner was a well-respected captain and knew the Great Lakes well, having navigated their waters for decades. But navigating the frozen waters is a very stressful job, and it takes hours of smart decision-making and concentration. Having gotten through the Straits of Mackinac, he succumbed to his exhaustion and needed to get some sleep. At 10.20 p.m., he ordered the speed of the ship lowered for safety and retired to his cabin for the night, telling his first and second mate to wake him when they had passed Sheboygan and started their approach into Port Washington. This way, he could lead the docking procedure. So, three hours later, at 1.20 a.m., which is now April 29th, and Captain Donner's birthday, The second mate followed the captain's instructions about waking him when they were approaching the port. So he headed to the cabin, which was located at the back of the pilot house, down a companionway. So it's located basically at the back of where you navigate from, down like stairs or a hatch. Okay. So he found that the cabin had been locked from the inside. So he knocked repeatedly, but to no avail, the captain didn't answer. And so the second mate became concerned that the captain 
couldn't hear him for some reason. And so he was like, well, I don't want him to sleep through this. He did give me orders to wake him. Mm-hmm. So he tried the door. He was going to enter the room. But when he attempted to turn the door handle, it didn't budge. The door was locked. Worried that the captain would sleep past the point he insisted he be woken up at, the second mate went to retrieve the master key. So after bringing first mate, the first mate up to speed as to what was going on, he headed back to the cabin and proceeded to unlock the door. So he unlocks it. He's As he's entering, he's making his presence known and then walking down the stairs and stepping into the room. The second mate assumed he would hear Donner respond to his announcement that he was entering his room and like call him in or acknowledge him in some way. Mm -hmm. But just as before, he heard nothing. The captain wasn't responding in any way. Uh So now he was worried that the captain maybe had some sort of medical emergency or something happened that was leaving him like unable to respond. Mm -hmm. So the second mate opened the door and proceeded inside, but what was waiting for him wasn't what he expected. It was empty. What? The captain was nowhere in sight. The room was empty. The captain was not in there, but the door had been locked from the inside. I hate that. I don't like that at all. I know. So the second mate is confused as hell, and he's searching around the cabin, the small room of the cabin, and it's really small like there isn't really anywhere he could the captain could have been hiding uh there wasn't anything out of place the bed had not been slept in and the porthole windows were securely fastened and even if they weren't the porthole windows are very small the captain was also a very large man and you couldn't fit through them anyway there's literally no way out of this room unless you leave through the door that was locked from the inside so The second mate informed the rest of the crew that the captain was missing and that they needed to begin a search of the ship immediately. So they thought, okay, he did give us this window of roughly three hours. He did say, as you're approaching the port, come and get me. Maybe he woke up um, a little bit before the second mate had arrived to get him and he was hungry or something. So they're like, let's go check to see if he's in the galley. So they go into the galley to see if he went to get some food or some shit. And then they see the two firemen that were finishing up their break. So they're like, yo, did you see the captain at all? Like, did he come in here, get some food or talk to you? And they're like, no. And we've been in here for like a little while now. And the entire time we've been in here, we haven't seen anything. Mm -hmm. So the next thing the first and second mate did was get every man on board aware that the captain was missing and they were going to search the entire freighter to see where the fuck the captain went so they searched every room they unlocked every door they searched every crate container anything they could think of they checked it out to see where the captain is but they found nothing captain donner was nowhere on board he literally seemed to like vanish into thin air So when the OS McFarland docked in Wisconsin, the crewmen contacted authorities to let them know that their captain was missing under mysterious circumstances. And an alert went out to the Coast Guard on the lake, and an immediate search was started for the now 58-year-old captain, because it was his birthday. Jesus. 
So ships ventured along the same route that the OS McFarlane had taken, and they were instructed to keep an eye out for Captain Donner. And again, there was nothing found. The captain seemingly just vanished from his locked cabin. So fucking weird. So the crew was questioned by the authorities that they had reported to, saying that the captain was missing. And they didn't really have any sort of like helpful information about the potential like disappearance. So Port Washington Sheriff Runkle interviewed the crew and he found that basically all they knew was that at 1020, Captain Donner said he was going to bed. He gave them that message to wake him up when they were approaching the port. Mm-hmm. And the crew believed that he was in his cabin for at least two hours um, awake because they could hear movement inside of the cabin. And they assumed that he was going through paperwork, uh, maybe getting stuff ready for when they docked because there was some sort of like rummaging sound. Mm-hmm. But obviously they can't confirm this because no one was inside the cabin with him. But like they could hear sounds from inside the cabin like he was in there. Yeah. So <laughs> it's really not helpful. Well, it's good to know that he didn't immediately go through a portal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He definitely went into the cabin. Yeah. Plus, it's locked from the inside, which is creepy. Mm-hmm. So the authorities, like, continued to question the crew and stuff. They'd be like, okay, well, the events you're giving me from when he disappeared isn't very helpful, but let's talk a little bit more about Captain Donner. Like, what is he like? Did he seem to be in a state? What was going on with him? And what they heard was interesting. Uh, so Sheriff Runkle learned that Donner was in a very nervous state throughout most of the trip. And this was because the ship's fore and aft compasses were not functioning properly for some unknown reason. Like he could not, no one on board could figure out why these compasses weren't working. And because this issue, they couldn't correct it. They didn't know why they were malfunctioning. So Donner refused to rest in any capacity. He was completely foregoing sleep altogether altogether because he wanted to have eyes on the water and he wanted to keep an eye on the freighter's position at all times. So he's that captain. fucking worried about it. Yeah. Holy yeah. fuck. I'd be shit myself. It's not one compass that's malfunctioning. It's the the main compasses both of them yeah like you're just your navigation is just dog shit yeah enjoy and when they took off from their like when they were leaving into the water they were fine and then they get out into the water and then they both start going haywire and no one can fix it no one knows what's wrong with them and they don't like you have the two because oh well what's the chances that both are gonna fuck up Mm -hmm. one might start to malfunction but at least we have this other one but they're both going crazy so he was very like fixated on that Mm -hmm. and he is the captain of the ship so he's like i'm not even gonna sleep i'm going to stay up i'm gonna watch this ship it's my responsibility Mm -hmm. so the ship's steward told sheriff runkle that at one point captain donner approached him saying that he wasn't feeling well but he wouldn't really explain what that meant like what wasn't feeling well because it didn't really seem to be like he was physically ill Mm -hmm. he just kept saying like he didn't really feel well so the captain then asked the steward if he could stay in his cabin through the night while he slept so he wasn't alone oh no and the steward was like fuck no oh my god 
he declined. He was like, I'm not doing that. You're creeping me out. Yeah, you're creeping me out. And also, like, <laughs> Jesus I bet, <laughs> I bet all the, all the fucking uh, crewmen were just like, they got the same feeling as if you get your one friend just text you at 3 a.m. Love you, boys. Oh, no. <laughs> like, yeah, they're you're just like, like, no. Captain, no. You're just a friend. <laughs> so for days following the captain's disappearance, coastal communities kept an eye out for his body to wash up on shore, but that never happened. And then rumors began to circulate that the captain chose to end his own life by sneaking off the side of the ship mm -hmm. um, by tying heavy weights around himself and leaping into the lake. But in questioned, the crew questioned about this, like, do you think he took his own life? Um, they really didn't think this was likely. He was very well respected. He was very trusted. He gave no indication that he wanted to harm himself. Mm -hmm. So what they do state, though, is that he was extremely fatigued. He was tired. He wouldn't sleep because he was so worried about the compasses. And in turn, he wasn't really acting like himself. He seemed to get a little bit spacey. But the one thing that he was very aware and focused of was the compasses. Mm -hmm. And anything he could do to avoid sleep, he did. When a person has avoided sleep for... I mean, 24 hours, you're like exhausted. Yeah. But if you haven't slept for 48 hours, so two days, oh. the cognitive performance begins to decline rapidly and your brain begins slipping into these periods of unconsciousness, sort of, and it's known as microsleep. Mm -hmm. And you also experience extreme anxiety, heightened stress levels, and you're very irritable. If you don't sleep for three days, so 72 hours, the periods of microsleep begins to last longer and you begin to experience disordered thinking, you have difficulty multitasking, you experience depersonalization, and you will start to hallucinate audibly and visually. Mm -hmm. And 96 hours of no sleep, so four days, you will enter a entire like perception of reality that is totally different it's changed you're not really on earth anymore it sounds like a challenge to me and you will slip into sleep deprivation psychosis and this is important because the trip they were taking into port washington was four days and he hadn't slept apparently for four days oh my god and i know <laughs> so that's four days for him to grow restless nervous paranoid and like i said even though he's getting kind of spacey he's just fucking obsessed with the fact that these compasses won't work mm -hmm. so the captain may not have you know verbally or like really openly said or shown that he wanted to harm himself mm -hmm. but when you're caught in this state of sleep deprivation it is possible that you're gonna do something you this to me is just as scary as vanishing yes because like if this isn't a well-established captain he's right? well established well like well established he knows the great lakes like the back of his hand yeah and he goes on this journey and it's on his birthday that he 
has this just becomes obsessed with the compasses to the point that you stay up for four days straight and then you go insane and possibly kill yourself or whatever happened that's terrifying on its own it is incredible so if you're not terrifying. willing to leap into do fucking vanish and i don't know why or how his cabin was locked he disappeared from a locked cabin yeah locked on the inside that's fucking ridiculous it's creepy as hell yeah so yeah there's like i like i was saying the theory about like oh you know maybe he did um take his own life mm -hmm. even though everyone is like he didn't though yeah. also the cabin is locked from the inside so then people were like fine if he didn't then i bet he was murdered the crew murdered him and tossed his body overboard mm -hmm. but the crew was like that's insane no we yeah. didn't and <laughs> there's no motive he's a good captain there wasn't any sort of animosity on this ship like it's stupid yeah they didn't have anything a, to gain from it's that it's just a, like a convenient answer like there's no reason <clears throat> to believe it yet but people are just like well it's the only answer i can come up with exactly and it's like you can't do that and then there's the third side where people believe that it's neither of these he did not take his own life by his own hand willingly and he was not murdered instead it was something supernatural mm. he wasn't missing he'd literally been taken by the lake michigan triangle <sighs> and that's why his body was never found and it could explain the weird disturbances with the compasses and him only him being so affected by the fact that the compasses weren't working and him having this like obsessive level of hyper focus on these compasses a man who just turned 59 so he's almost 60 years old knows the great lakes like the back of his hand has taken a trip like this before but for some reason is just out of his mind yeah i'm sorry like the level of paranoia that he seems to have been exhibiting just by the like by the compasses going off which like an established captain would be like fuck but like at the same time you'd imagine that he'd have this sense as like a leader to be like i'm not gonna stay up 48 or, or four days four days or 90 90 um six 96 fucking hours oh there but like there's no way he would do that that's ridiculous you would have or you would just pull pull over or something yeah you just say anchor the ship or you would keep going and you just say like you you would like look at your like first mate and be like i love you man <laughs> always loved you you're my favorite seaman <laughs> sorry anyway you would be like uh you would be oh, like wow. okay like listen i'm worried about this keep really like detailed logs brief me when i come back up or or fucking anchor mm -hmm. i so many options before i would fucking stay up four days straight it's because insane, you know right? what's gonna happen so it's a, just a man ridiculous. with decades of experience yeah it's it's just also creepy and i agree with what you had said earlier so what maybe he didn't vanish into thin air maybe he did take his own life but the events leading up to it are so bizarre mm -hmm. and his mental state is just so concerning to the point that people were like like you're kind of creeping me out yeah and like you this won't is like sleep this and is like one of those terrifying like hbo series you'd see where like the captain uh, just starts going nuts yeah and it's and it's but what's beautiful about it is like that's just, it's a perfect story you're baked in because you already have that reasoning as to why the captain did it. Like why he got scared reasonably about the compasses, but he just grew more and more 
paranoid mm-hmm. and his reasoning got worse and worse the longer he stayed up because of the paranoia that he just lost it. Exactly. And his hyperfocus being on the compasses. What does the compasses have to do with asking your steward to watch you and be with you while you sleep because he was scared? Yeah. What does that have to do with anything other yeah, than... Yeah, that's actually... Yeah, good point. That's fucking creepy. I know. That's like one of the creepiest parts. It's like, look, dude, I don't want to freak you out. It's like, There's can't... shadow people on this fucking boat. Exactly. He's like, oh, oh, I freaked myself out. Yeah. <laughs> like, what was he so afraid of? And then he finally decides to go to sleep and he vanishes because he was alone. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Someone make this fucking show, though. I will watch this shit out of it. I swear to God. We'll do it. Steven, Leo, are you listening? Yeah. Four of us. This is where the astrology comes in, boys. <laughs> God. <laughs> We're going to be watching those stars. <laughs> so Donner's disappearance remains unsolved to this day. Mm-hmm. No sign ever found. He just, he's gone. The triangle has him. You know what? If I go, I hope it's something as notable as this, though. I know, right? Like, this happened in 1890. It's And we're talking about it in 2023. It's, I mean, like, this is a tragedy, and I'm very sorry it happened, but at the same time, like, it's a cool fucking story. 133 years later. Yeah. We're talking about it, and it is a fucking sick story, and I agree. There should be some kind of badass movie made. Yeah. Another vanishing person from the Triangle is a man named Stephen... Oh, God, I should have looked this up. (laughs) Kabaki spoils of <laughs> Steven Sp- from spoils of horror. Ever heard of it? Oh, no. is this the tragic by accident <laughs> of Lake Michigan? <laughs> oh, by Always playing with that by <laughs> I'm just trying to go off the top of my head. I don't know if it was Night of the Living Dead. I mean, it was Invasion of the Body Smashers. I don't remember. But he made the joke about a bicocket and said that's what he calls his penis because he's bisexual. Yeah. <laughs> it's so fucking funny. You know what I've also got stuck in my head? I When I went to bed last night, I had um, unplayed episodes on for uh, just podcasts just to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was 100 horror. Uh, 100, 100 horrors. 100, oh, Beds. I can't, I can't say it. 100 horrors. There we go. And they were doing Bates. the descent. Oh and God, damn it! I fucking love that. That's one of my favorite movies. Oh yeah, me too. They like, they really liked high. it too, though. If you yeah, listen to the episode, they liked it. They did, except for the one guy who was it. Yeah, yeah. was it Rob? I think he gave it like a seven. Rob it's has <laughs> a problem with most movies. <laughs> I know. <laughs> anyway, that's. Apropos of absolutely nothing, but I had to let you know. 100 Horror is another great podcast. Yeah. They uh, cover 100 horror movies that are listed on a poster. And they're at episode, I believe, like 92 now. So they're almost through the poster. So the next season, they will be picking movies among themselves that they actually want to cover. And it'll be really good. Mm-hmm. I love that show. I'm a boy, Blue. <laughs> Okay, not Stephen from Spoils of Horror missing, but Stephen Kabaki, I believe is how you say it. Uh, he vanished, kind of. Ki- <laughs> Your face. Kind of. Well, I'll tell kind you here. Vanished. I'll tell you right here, okay? 
Okay. So Stephen, I'm not going to say his last name because I can't. Kabaki. Kabaki, maybe. So he's he was 23 years old. He was a student at Hope College in Holland, Michigan. And then on February 20th, it's Kurt Cobain's birthday. Oh. Anyway, February 20th. Another one who did a very... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what? It was a cool magic trick. What was the magic trick? He Please made his elaborate. head disappear. Oh my! <laughs> but he didn't really vanish, did he? Why? Well, apparently, part of his head did, according to you. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can still see where it went. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Unless you're one of those annoying people who are like, he didn't do it. Oh my God! Okay, if you think Courtney <laughs> Love did it, you listen to my words very carefully. No. Get fucked, okay? Get Beautiful. back in reality. She did not fucking kill him. No, but I meant someone else did it. She no. got someone else to and do Courtney it. And Courtney Love is a fucking just quintessential person in rock and roll history. Shut your mouth. Okay? I fucking love Courtney Love. Come for me. Don't care. She's great. One of the fucking uh, first... What, like, one of those fucking just... Oh, I don't even know the words, but just the fucking goddamn rocket in the fucking rock and roll scene for women mm-hmm. it, go listen to alan cross in the 90s talking about uh front women front women in rock and roll and you'll just realize like jesus christ how important she was but oh, anyway i should listen to that yeah he's got a whole thing on the 90s and on grunge and oh shit. history of the 90s yeah it's great anyway oh, i want to listen to that so bad okay wow mm-hmm. just i hate you know what i said strap in because it's turbulent and it's a ride or something i don't know what i said i said that along the line so Mm -hmm. okay jesus christ february 20th 1978 stephen kabaki he's on a solo cross-country skiing trip near saugatuck michigan Mm -hmm. but he disappears sort of there was he was alone like i said solo trip there's no friends there's no family members to explain what the fuck happened to him but the next day, there was snowmobilers on the ice. They found his equipment. Next to his equipment, there was a pair of footprints that abruptly ended in the snow on the ice. Oh, no. Yeah. So the police were like, oh, well, they abruptly ended. This means he must have fallen through the ice and died of hypothermia. It's funny that that is the initial thought. And my initial thought was Wendigo. And mine was like abducted. Oh, I yeah. Oh, okay. Gr- I oh great. Out of a Wendigo into the Lake Michigan Triangle. That's fucking terrifying. They're in the area. <laughs> I'm so scared. They're in the. I say it like it's bears. <laughs> they're in the. They're in, they're the, in area. the area. Do they're you have your spray? Your Wendigo spray. Oh my god! Stop! I'm scared. All right. Okay, so they're like, he fell through the ice and died of hypothermia, but as far as I can tell, there wasn't any broken ice, so I don't really know why he might have fallen through. His footprints just literally vanished, and he was screaming, ah, my feet, they're burning. My burning feet, and there was these, like, bloody footprints. Ew. Yeah, no, anyway. okay, that's not part of it. That's a Wendigo reference. That's not part of it. Oh, so, story. but on the ice of Lake Michigan, in the triangle, his footprints stopped. They just stopped next to his abandoned equipment, and... He he was just vanished. He no one knew what the fuck happened to him. They the cops did come in and like search as if he did fall through the ice, but no body was recovered. He was just deemed di- dead from falling 
through the ice and dying of herpethermia. Jesus fucking Christ. Herpethermia. And that's that was the consensus for like 15 months. But yeah. then on May 5th, 1979, he just showed up in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. That's fucking 740 miles away. What the fuck? And what's creepy is if you look at the map, it's like directly east. Like not even... Like a beeline? Yeah. Okay. Let me show you. Map. Okay. Fill the void while I look for this. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me tell you. There's a story about the Wendigo and this mm-hmm. guy goes missing and he like, he starts like his friends can hear him like screaming and then it goes silent and like the day later, all you hear is in the middle of the darkness. My feet, my feet, my burning feet. And then they go after him and they're in the woods and uh, they find the tracks and there's just these bloody giant footprints because he got attacked by the Wendigo. I'll let you go on anyway. because that was really scary. Yeah. Here's the map. Look it up. It's a great fucking story. Holland, Michigan, from where Stephen went missing to Pittsfield, Massachusetts, where he was found. That's Jesus Christ. It's on the same fucking parallel. Yeah. It's a fucking straight line. Seven hundred seven hordy. I'm not well. <laughs> 740 miles directly east yeah to put it in perspective it's saying that it would be a like an 11 and a half hour drive yeah or a or an almost four hour flight wow that's crazy actually yeah but it's direct it's like directly east isn't that creepy oh it's fucking insane so he just shows up in pittsfield and he is in pittsfield he just wakes up lying in the grass he has no recollection of the past 15 months. He's wearing what he describes as weird clothes. And his he has this backpack that's full of random maps. And he doesn't fucking know what happened. He has no recollection of the 15 months. Total amnesia. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. I don't know what I would do if I woke up from a blackout. And my backpack was filled with maps, and I was in the middle of butt. And you were wearing clothes you've never seen before. Yeah, like he's like, I don't. Whose fucking clothes are these? And they were like summer clothes, like t-shirts and shit. And in the fifteen months he was missing, no sightings of him. He, they thought he was dead, and then he just just discovered seven hundred and forty miles away, and he does get reunited with his family, which is like a really beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. but what the fuck How, that would just eat away at you too because you'd be relieved to finally find him alive but like you'd be at the back of your head like yeah you'd be like but Stephen, where were gap. you what and happened? why were you in Massachusetts yeah it's fucking crazy and in that exactly straight line yeah like a perfectly straight line that's yeah I don't like that that's actually you could literally just take a ruler just Mm-hmm. Right across the map, and there he is. Yeah, it's a little more south, like a tad, but it's yeah, but like a pretty a, much a straight like line. Two millimeters on the map. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was another vanishing person one. Unreal. Stephen Kabuki, Kubaki, creepy. Kubaki. You want to hear about a plane? Yes, I want to hear about a plane. On June twenty third, nineteen fifty, 
the Northwest Orient Airlines Flight 2501 set off from New York's LaGuardia Airport en route to Seattle, Washington. The flight was carrying 55 passengers and three crew members. The flight path would take the plane right over Lake Michigan before stopping in Minneapolis for a brief layover. As the plane entered the skies above Lake Michigan at 3,500 feet, about 18 miles north of Benton Harbor, one of the points of the triangle, Mm -hmm. the captain, sorry, the pilot, Captain Lind, radioed to report that they were encountering a strong electrical storm and he was requesting permission to descend to 2,500 feet. Permission to descend was denied by the Civil Aeronautic Authority because there was too much traffic at the lower altitude. Okay. Soon after this request to descend, the Flight 2501 completely disappeared from radar screens. Witnesses reported hearing engine sputtering noises and a flash of light after the last radio transmission. Oh. Search parties used sonar and dragged the lake bottom to try to locate the plane. As days passed, light debris, upholstery, and human body fragments were found floating on the surface of Lake Michigan. But divers never located the plane's wreckage. The loss of all 58 on board made it the deadliest commercial airliner accident in America at the time, mm-hmm. 1950. Yeah. I thought you were going to ask, what's what's the deadliest now? <laughs> nope. <laughs> it's 9-11, isn't it? No. No? No. The towers, wasn't it? Changed everything. What is the deadliest? Well, Dyson, the deadliest air, um, the. (laughs) 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 What a time. As of right now, Mm -hmm. the deadliest aircraft accident in American history happened on May 25th, 1979. And it was American Airlines Flight 191. And it crashed in De Plaines, Illinois, mm-hmm. and it killed 273 people. Oof. And apparently the cause of the crash was a loss of control caused by engine detachment due to improper maintenance. Oh, fuck off. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. It's a nightmare. 273 people. Okay, honestly, I fucking hate hearing about plane crashes in, like, any time before 85 (laughs) because i swear to god like just maintenance and just basic rules of like safety were just not applicable yet they didn't know about it and a fucking engine falls off mid-flight just looking out your window and the engine just takes off the sayonara fucking scary yeah i've never been in an airplane well you know we'll be in a safer one yo i'm knocking on wood Kobe didn't like that. So, flight 2501 was apparently entering a squall line, which had turbulence. But since the plane's wreckage uh, was never found, obviously the cause can't be determined. But just based on, I guess, radar and what weather reports were that day, it's most likely that the plane went into a squall line. And there were flights 
below because they were flying at 3,500 feet and they wanted to descend to 2,500 feet, but they couldn't because it was too busy. So it is pretty crazy to think like, oh, like a thousand feet difference Mm -hmm. makes that much of a difference, but Mm -hmm. I guess it does. So they could have escaped turbulence at 2,500 feet because uh, the squall that they're talking about is like a a linear one. Yeah. So. It's like a thin line across yes. the sky. And the, he, they were saying, the pilot was saying that it was like an electrical storm as well. Oh. But that, I mean, I don't really know what planes were like in 1950, but Maybe now. like a DC 30s or something that they call them they're like old uh casablanca planes okay yeah because like an electrical storm obviously insinuates like thunder and lightning and stuff and nowadays the planes like you could potentially be struck by lightning in a plane and not even know it because of how they're engineered yeah and it is it's not like fucking common to be struck by lightning but it happens and Mm -hmm. like often you as a passenger in a plane like you wouldn't even know thank god for that but i don't really know what it was like in 1950 (laughs) so shit bricks um yeah all that's known is that the the pilot was like yo can i please descend and they were like no and then they disappeared in september 2008 a msra so the michigan shipwreck research associates that an affiliate of them was investigating the crash of Flight 2501 and found an unmarked grave that contains the remains of some of the 58 victims. Because remember, body parts yeah. were washing up ashore and floating on the surface and stuff. Mm-hmm. So the MSRA said human remains washed ashore and were buried in a mass grave without the knowledge of the victims' families. And the grave was never marked. So a ceremony was held at Riverview Cemetery in St. Joseph, Michigan. Family members of Flight 2501 attended and a large black granite marker was placed. And it lists the names of the 58 victims and the words, In memory of Northwest Flight 2501, June 23rd, 1950, gone but never forgotten. Really original. They really broke the mold with that one. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Another mass burial site was discovered in 2015 at Lakeview Cemetery in North Haven, Michigan. The site had long been unmarked until a mother and daughter found it while they were doing a genealogy project. The women contacted MSRA and together they all planned a memorial service, which took place on Wednesday, June 24th, 2015, at the grave site where a marker was unveiled. Mm. And to this day, the MSRA conduct annual searches for Flight 2501 because it's still never been found. Wow. God, and even till today. Mm-hmm. That's wild. And something very strange is that after Flight 2501 disappeared from radar, there were two police officers that reported seeing a bright red light hovering over Lake Michigan. Whoa. And they witnessed this really weird light doing whatever it was doing for 10 minutes straight. Oh, God. <laughs> and, and an engine came out of the sky. Donald, that was a different flight. <laughs> and something else that's very odd 
is that strange lights are one of the most common mysterious sightings witnessed in the Lake Michigan Triangle. Strange lights are reported in the triangle all the time, and they're attributed to paranormal activity and aliens. For example, Mm -hmm. in 1919, people observed unusual bright lights in the Lake Michigan Triangle. They witnessed two large balls of fire fall into Lake Michigan, and the explosion was so powerful that it shook the earth. The New York Times reported it was a huge meteor, but some still perceive this event as paranormal. Mm-hmm. And many reports of UFO, UFO sightings happened at the same time that this reported ball of fire happened. Oh, God. And then we fast forward 75 years, and you have another light phenomenon reported by locals. On March 8, 1994, over 300 witnesses in 42 of the 82 counties in Michigan reported seeing strange lights on the eastern shore of Lake Michigan. There were up to six round hovering objects that resembled flickering white, red, blue, and green Christmas lights. Eventually, they headed out over the lake. This first account comes from Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix. Volume 3, Episode 2. So, in Grand Haven, Michigan, at 9 p.m., Cindy Pravda was on the phone with her friend Edna. She likes to pace when she's on the phone. That's odd. I put that in there just for you, Dyson, (laughs) because you are a huge pacer. I will... I will do laps around the apartment. Yeah, when you're in here and you're on the phone, you literally pace from one end to the other. Yeah. And you're, yeah, you're just a pacer. You're also very, like, um, jittery. You always have your feet or you're, like, bouncing. Yep. So I was like, oh, she likes to pace when she's on the phone. Sounds like someone I know. (laughs) So she's on the phone with Edna. She looked out the kitchen window and she saw this huge bright light and... She was like, oh, shit, that must be a huge full moon because of how bright it was. So she looks a little closer, but she sees four bright lights. So it's obviously not a full moon. Mm -hmm. And she's on the phone and she just goes, Edna, I think there's a UFO in my backyard. (laughs) (laughs) What was her name again? Oh, Cindy? Cindy. Oh, Cindy, you're such a card. (laughs) (laughs) so the four lights were in a straight horizontal line they were stationary and they were just above the tree line of her pasture so the one to the far left moved slowly across the tree line and then slowly went back into formation hey that doesn't sound like a meteor anymore Mm -mm. so the one on the far right was slowly moving before flying off in a flash just out of there all right so cindy never saw like the actual object Mm -hmm. um like a ship or a plane or anything like that because the lights were so bright that they were like washing out any detail beyond them 
So she watched these three remaining lights for about half an hour and there was no sound. They were just hovering in dead silence to the point that her horse was out in the field and the horse is just grazing completely unfazed. Like it did not notice a thing. And Cindy, it's like 1994, right? And Cindy's like, I fucking wish I took a picture, but like she didn't have a camera. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, like you'd literally just pull out your phone. Yeah. But it's 94. And if she did have a camera, it would have been film. And maybe she didn't have film or whatever the case was. But yep. she was like, I didn't have a camera. And it would have been dog shit. Yeah. It would have been like, thanks, Cindy, for this picture of your horse. Anyone old enough knows that if you try to use one of those point and clicks or, or one of those early cell phones on a fucking night sky shot, it's going to turn out like dog shit. Mm-hmm. Cell phones in the 90s didn't have cameras, though. <laughs> you're right you're right (laughs) there was cell phone in the 90s but yeah yeah. with a camera but those did they had we had digital camera not 94 no not 94 94 was just straight up film or polaroid Mm -hmm. so this next account is from holly graves and i also got this from unsolved mysteries so 22 miles south of grand haven where cindy was is in holland michigan which should sound familiar because steven kubacki Mm-hmm. so it's still along the coast of lake michigan and holly her husband daryl and her two children uh witnessed the lights so holly and her husband went to bed and the kids were in the living room and it was about 9 30 p.m which lines up with what cindy said because she saw them at nine and she said she watched watched them for half an hour so 9 30 the kids start screaming, like, come here, you got to see this. Mm-hmm. And Holly and Daryl like run out into the living room and they see that the living room is just completely lit up. Like, it's bright as shit. So Holly calls 911 and she just to ask, like, if they've heard anything about these lights, they're bizarre she's describing them to 911 dispatch saying that they're unlike anything she's ever seen and they were flickering in a horizontal line and they looked like a string of christmas lights and 911 said that they hadn't heard anything mm-hmm. and holly and daryl went outside to look at them closer and the first thing that stood out to them was that it was dead silent there's no noise to these lights at all yep And they were slowly moving across the sky in a circular motion. Mm -hmm. And the object was cylindrical. And whereas Cindy couldn't see the object creating the lights, Mm -hmm. maybe it was the angle or whatever, but Holly and Daryl could. And they described it as a chrome material with lights coming out the bottom. Okay. And they were straight up like, it's a UFO. Like, yep. straight up, that's what I'm looking at. Yeah, there's a smooth metal chrome thing floating around with lights on the bottom. It's not a fucking asteroid. Mm-mm. Meteor. So they stood outside and they were watching this object until Officer Jeff Velthaus arrived at 9.43 p.m. And he was already very skeptical. He's like, okay, like a UFO, like get real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, whatever. I would probably be the same, honestly, if I was a cop and so was like, I saw a UFO and be like, here we go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that is how a lot of people feel about it. They're like, mm, fucking okay, let me come out there and I'll look at it for myself and tell you what it is. Yeah, odds are it's drugs. <laughs> <laughs> 
So when the officer arrived, Holly went inside and Officer Veltaus and Daryl stayed outside watching the lights. Mm-hmm. Veltaus saw two lights and they were moving across the sky in sync, changing colors from white to green. And to him, it was consistent with an airplane. He's like, well, they are very bright. It does seem very low, but it looks like two planes flying. Okay. Until one of the lights left the formation, just quickly flying off and disappearing, Mm -hmm. just like what Cindy had seen. So he was describing it the same as everyone else had, that it's unlike anything he had ever seen. He leaves and Daryl stood outside to watch the remaining one light when it suddenly broke up into five lights, shooting off into different directions and disappearing. That's so weird. So Officer Velthaus had left and it was to follow the lights to see where it was going, what the fuck is happening. Mm-hmm. And while he's driving, calls are flooding into 911 and the callers are all saying the same thing that they're witnessing multiple flickering lights they're moving slowly they're moving in a circular motion they're changing formation and like breaking up into more lights and saying exactly what everyone else is saying it's unlike anything they've ever seen Mm -hmm. the position of the lights couldn't have been a plane it just was impossible and officer Veldhaus contacted dispatch and said, you, like, we have to figure out what this is. Reach out to a radar service to see if they can pinpoint what it is that these people are reporting. Mm-hmm. So a man named Jack Bushong was a radar operator for the National Weather Service in Muskegon, working the 4 p.m. to midnight shift. And he was alone on duty, which isn't unusual. And that day which is March 8th, 1994. It was about 20 degrees Fahrenheit or minus six degrees Celsius. And there was just a light wind and the visibility was great. So it seemed like a very like normal day. And Jack wasn't expecting anything crazy because it was fair, clear, shouldn't have been any wild shit happening. Mm -hmm. And that all went out the window. Because at 10 p.m., he received a call from Ottawa County Police Dispatch asking if there was any weird activity in the area because dispatch had received 60 UFO calls. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of people are seeing this. Yes. Yep. Like I said, 42 counties. Mm -hmm. And Michigan as a whole state has 82 and calls from 42 counties. Yep. So he gets 60 calls and he's like oh jack hi uh you see anything we got ufo calls mm-hmm. and jack's like okay <laughs> <laughs> ufo calls wow but he's like this is my job i am the only one here i have access to this radar mm-hmm. sure i'll take a look because if you have 60 calls now i'm a little curious yeah so he takes a look and he's scanning, and then he gets a very large return at about 6,000 feet. And he assumes that it's an aircraft because the return was obviously from a solid object, a highly reflective object, and it was moving at about 100 miles an hour. So very consistent with a plane. Mm-hmm. 
But his mind changed because this supposed aircraft started to act very unusual. The object would disappear from sight, then reappear, then disappear, then move, then hover, and then change elevation by thousands of feet very quickly. It's one of those uh, hovering airplanes from 94, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when I mean thousands of feet, I mean it was quickly changing elevation from anywhere between six to 12,000 feet. Holy shit. (laughs) Yes. Fuck that. Like doubling elevation. Yeah, like G-force out your asshole kind of elevation. Yeah. So then suddenly, I mean, he's watching this one object do all this. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly there's three objects instead of one. And Jack had never seen anything like this before. He's literally watching the radar where there's one. And then, boom, three. Mm-hmm. So then these three objects kind of move into this triangular formation. And the top point of the triangle would quickly move 20 miles west in a flash. And if you're going 20 miles west, you're going towards Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. And then the bottom two points would, in sync, follow suit to make sure that they were keeping this triangular shape. And they were doing this out towards the lake okay so jack got off the phone with dispatch and he calls his wife because he's like you want to know what i'm dealing with right now i just got a fucking call yeah apparently there's 60 ufo calls there's these lights i'm watching them on radar will you go outside to see if you can see anything because i'm curious as hell now and she said no because she was too scared oh yo i'd be yelling at you I would go I'd be outside. like, Are you go. About, what the fuck is wrong with you? Go. Aliens, take me now. <laughs> yeah, you'd be, you'd be busting out the door. So Jack continued to watch the lights. And they were moving out over Lake Michigan. And this means they were moving through the Michigan Triangle. Mm-hmm. And at this point, Jack is very nervous. He's very creeped out. Uh, after all, he is a scientist. And... None of this made sense. The lights stopped in the middle of the lake, directly west of Benton Harbor, the bottom point of Lake Michigan Triangle. Mm -hmm. And on his radar, he was picking up hundreds of returns as if other similar objects were zooming in and Uh, meeting up in this spot over the water. I fucking hate that. Yes. And that's important when we say over the water. Because it was over open water. Most of Lake Michigan was frozen. Mm-hmm. But the lights were hovering over the northernmost point of the only spot of the lake that was not frozen. Okay. And he watched these lights while one after the other over the course of like a couple hours. They just disappeared. What the flying fuck? What the actual flying fuck? Yeah. Yeah. And his shift ended and he briefed the guy that was coming in after him on Mm -hmm. like his call with dispatch and what he'd been watching on the radar. And this guy didn't give a fuck. Just just kind of looked at him like you're losing your goddamn mind. Yeah. So Jack didn't realize that the call he had with dispatch was recorded. And that call kind of flipped his world upside down 
when the press got a hold of all of the 911 tapes from that night. Mm-hmm. So witnesses of these lights and most of these witnesses were also people who had called 911 themselves wanted to know like they wanted answers like what the fuck were these lights mm-hmm. no one is saying anything so they started reaching out to the local newspapers being like here's what we saw this is something that you should definitely look into because what the fuck so the newspapers went to the like local authorities and they obtained the tapes of the 911 calls including the call between jack and dispatch and it's amazing proof of an unknown flying object yeah and amazing proof for especially ufo believers but as a radar operator working in a field based on hard facts and science Mm -hmm. it's not very amazing so the national weather service did not want to be known for reporting on ufos Mm -hmm. and they tried to just make it go away okay and they said that the returns that jack was seeing were nothing to do with like some weird ufo shit it was just ground clutter and a temperature inversion oh god so fucking illuminating ground clutter yeah and hundreds of zooming in ground clutter okay so (laughs) ground clutter is returns to the radar from when the radar emits the energy to start scanning. Mm -hmm. Ground clutter means that when it is starting to scan, it's just sending back uh, returns on like... waves from the uh, like trees. Yeah, from exactly that. Ground clutter. Like you're just not reading it right. It's literally picking up stuff that's on the Earth's surface. Mm -hmm. And then temperature inversion is a layer of warm air a few thousand feet above the earth earth's surface so do you bite any of that no yeah no me neither he's an experienced radar operator to the point that he's left alone on shift (laughs) yeah he knows when he fucking sees ground clutter or a temperature inversion i'd be also temperature inversion and ground clutter doesn't zoom in at thousands of miles per hour from god knows where into a central location if i was that guy the radar operator like uh, after I got done with being upset, <laughs> to put it lightly, I'd be very concerned. Yes. Because they're coming out immediately with trying to discredit you with like what is obvious bullshit. Yeah. And I'd be like, why are you coming out with a fucking lie? Like, I would just be sitting there going like, man, were you told to fucking give a bullshit statement like that? Yeah. What the fuck? Because like, Yeah. I don't like that. Yeah, they probably were told. Yeah. The same way that they were telling him that he's not allowed to talk. He's not allowed to give interviews. Mm-hmm. And they were just like, we're sweeping this away. And you you better not talk. And I mean, he's worked his entire life to be where he is. So he listened. Yeah. And he didn't want to ruin his career or his future or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But the toll was just way too much for him. Mm-hmm. Because... He explains how this whole thing had like totally flipped everything on his head. He's a scientist. He's studying cold hard facts. He's studying what is like in textbooks. And then he witnessed something that was so out of this world that now he's like, what the fuck do I believe in? Yeah. 
and what the fuck just happened? Yeah, and he's going through his own thing, and then his job is telling him like you're either lying or like you didn't see what you saw. We're discrediting you completely. Don't fucking talk. And he ended up just leaving Michigan mm-hmm. um, five months after the event and started new in Atlanta. As a radar operator still, you think? Yeah, he was still in the same field. So he got like kind of shuffled? Yeah, he just moved because okay. he was like, fuck this. Like, I'm not allowed to talk about this. Obviously, like, people are gonna asking. That guy's going to know how to use a fucking, like, he's going to know how to use, how to operate radar. Yeah. And he's going to know what he's seeing. Mm-hmm. So like, it's not. It's not what he's seeing that's wrong. No, and, and <laughs> he didn't know he was being recorded. Yeah. He's not, he's just talking to some dispatcher. Like, he's not going to feed into it. Mm-hmm. If you don't know you're being recorded, you could easily just be like, there's nothing fucking here, man. Like, sorry. Yeah. But he's like, I don't know. Like, let me look. Like, everyone should watch this episode of Unsolved Mysteries because it's so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's literally just like, oh, okay. <laughs> fine i'll fucking look at <laughs> this i'm just like and he looks at it and it's pl- in the episode it plays the recording of the yeah. call and he's like oh now wait a minute like there is something weird here i've never seen anything like this mm-hmm. and at, and you can hear in the call that at first he's kind of trying to be like oh, like it could be a plane or maybe it's this or like i don't really want to say too much until i know like you mm-hmm. can hear him like kind of going through the motions of like there's a reason this is happening let me find it Mm-hmm. And and then you just can't because yeah. of how unusual this activity is. Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, he oh yes goes to Atlanta, Georgia, and isn't allowed to talk about this. Doesn't talk about it for like years and years. Mm-hmm. And there was actually a couple of pilots that told this newspaper that had gotten a hold of all of the recordings mm-hmm. that they saw lights as well. But they did not want this newspaper to print their names or their air carriers, nothing, because of the stigma that's attached to people who are, you know, reporting that they see UFOs. Especially in, like, the 90s. Yeah. So like, it's nowadays, like, like, people understand. They're like, I don't know what it was, but I saw this. And people understand. They're like, there's a lot of weird shit flying in the skies now. I've but, seen so much weird shit. It, yeah. Because, I, I mean, and I think a lot of people are, like, accepting of it because, like... We didn't have drones before. We didn't have like all these weird different things. So they were, and we didn't know what. Not popularly, I bet there were drones. Oh, 100%. But but I was thinking of that the whole time. Not like like I go to Canadian Tire and I buy a drone. Yeah, yeah. I I was thinking that too because I was like, well, like the only reason I was like, I don't think it was anyone testing something was because it was fucking Lake Michigan. Like, why would you do that? But. And just the like bizarre, like breaking up into five. Flying yeah. away dramatically, hundreds mm-hmm. zooming into a location over the middle of the lake. I know. Yeah. It's fucking upsetting. I don't even know. I would I'd probably shit. If I was that radar operator and I just started seeing like you were tracking four and then you just see it come to he the center he was tracking, of the lake. Yeah, he thought he was tracking one. And yeah. then it broke up into three. Yeah. And then you just start seeing hundreds. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, I don't know what's going on there, but someone should get eyes on the lake. He was very nervous and scared. Yeah. He was very creeped out by it. Yep. It's got to be one of those just bone chilling like feelings you get. Just, you know, you know, like perfect example of, of the feeling I'm trying to describe is like if you've ever watched signs and you watch that scene where the guy's watching TV 
and the news reporter's like, what you're about to see is deeply disturbing. And it's the mm-hmm. fucking uh, kid's birthday party. And then they do that part where the alien walks across mm-hmm. and that just jolt to like, it feels like it jolts your very soul. That's how I would feel if I just suddenly started seeing hundreds start appearing on my screen. Zooming into a central location. Into a central location. I think he called it like a, it seemed to be like a rendezvous point for all of these lights. Yeah. I don't like that. (laughs) It's very creepy. Yeah. So Jack retired in 2016 and he ended up revisiting his experience and he wanted to dive into it. He wanted to investigate it for himself. Mm -hmm. So he returned to Michigan to talk to eyewitnesses and other people that were very invested in the event. So witnesses from all over Michigan observed the unexplained lights in the sky and they gave similar descriptions of what they saw as we could tell through the eyewitness accounts that i was talking about Mm -hmm. but there was one account that was up close and really stuck with jack so right from the shore of lake michigan there was a couple that was camping and just after midnight the woman woke up And she looks out over the lake and then she sees a very tall tower of water and it looked like a huge waterfall that went up to the heights of the sky. Ew. Yeah. It was about, she says, 20 feet wide and it was lit from behind and above. And the couple was absolutely terrified by this. So they grabbed some of their belongings that were just like within reach and they just fucking booked it out of there. Mm-hmm. They were like, no, thank you. Yep. And Jack found this so interesting because it lines up with what he saw on radar. The, you know, like quote rendezvous point mm-hmm. of all of these lights over the open water. Yeah. So the great lakes is the largest body of fresh water maybe these were ufos and maybe they were aliens and maybe they were looking for some fresh water because they're hovering over the only part of the lake that's not frozen yeah and there's a stream of water so fucking waterfall of water like something sucking it up out of the lake i don't know i would freak the fuck out if i saw just a tower of water looming in the middle of the lake. that's what this couple did they were like (laughs) fuck that let's go they never swam in that lake again oh no they moved they moved to the desert. Yeah, I would too. <laughs> where they encountered different types of UFOs. Mm-hmm. Now the orbs just fly around in the low part of the uh, earth. They just fly around on the ground. Oh, good. Yeah. And then meat starts falling from the sky. <laughs> and no, that's a different one. It's a different case. MUFON. Okay. Or the Mutual UFO Network. Oh, they said move on. <laughs> no, move on. <laughs> move on. Move on. Move on. Mutual UFO Network. Mm-hmm. Move on interviewed dozens of witnesses, uh, but the events remain unexplained. Move on claims to have ruled out most earthly explanations, like a, sm- a small plane, planes, a big planes. <laughs> <laughs> aircraft gas blimp weather balloon satellite shooting star military aircraft debris 
they've ruled it all out. Yeah. And in the decades since the sightings, witnesses and investigators are not any closer to solving the mystery of these lights. But Holly Graves knows that she saw a UFO. She's 100% dead set. She saw a UFO. She knows she did. And that's what it was. And in America, Michigan is at the top of the list for UFO sightings. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Man, up north. Let me tell you, something's fucking going on. Yeah, the more north you go, for sure. Yeah. That was a they UFOs. I think everyone <laughs> should watch that episode of Unsolved Mysteries because it's a great one. You should. I th- I think we I, v- I vaguely remember it on. Mm-hmm. We watched I think it. I was doing something. But yeah. Oh, I watched it. Yeah. It was a good one. All right. Now, the last of my Mich- Lake Michigan Triangle creepiness. Mm-hmm. A baffling rock formation was discovered under the surface of Lake Michigan in 2007, leading to speculation that the Lake Michigan Triangle is hiding North America's own version of Stonehenge. Oh, that's fucking sick. Yeah. So the discovery was made by Mark Hawley, a professor of underground archaeology from Northwestern Michigan College. And the site features a 40-foot ring of ancient stones found nearly 50 feet below the surface. Researchers have kept the location a secret for fear that divers will... They would. Attempt to disrupt it. Yeah, they would. So they're like, we're not telling you exactly where it is, but we're fucking telling you that there's an underground Stonehenge in Lake Michigan. Oh my God. And at this time, scientists do not know how or when the structure was built or if it was naturally occurring or if it was man-made. They have no fucking idea. The only evidence is that on this rock formation, 50 feet below the surface, there's a painting of a mastodon. What the fuck? Yeah. Wow. So a mastodon is an animal that has been extinct <laughs> for more than 10,000 years. So that yeah. suggests that this, sur- this structure is literally ancient. Yeah. And ancient stone structures like this one, I guess, or more popularly Stonehenge, which is in England... Structures like that have long mystified researchers and archaeologists. Yeah, I'm going to say it now. Ours is fucking cooler. I know, right? It's underwater. It's fucking it's got 50 a feet underwater with a mastodon picture on it. Stonehenge is on dirt. <laughs> <laughs> saying. They think maybe it's a calendar. Maybe, I don't know. But, you know. Well, local lore has associated these stone structures with paranormal or heavenly activity, and they're often situated in places that align with the stars or the sun's patterns around the earth. There you go. So, knowing that something so strange and so mysterious is located within the Lake Michigan Triangle certainly may explain some of the bizarre events that have taken place there. Mm-hmm. But we do know for sure that there's strange lights, UFOs. Weather phenomena, paranormal activity, disappearing ships, planes, and people. And whether it is America's Stonehenge or aliens or weather phenomena that's causing all of these events, one thing is for sure. Be prepared for the unexpected when entering the Lake Michigan Triangle because we know for certain that this lake 
can take you down and never let you go. Yeah. That's like Michigan Triangle. That was fucking wild. I had no idea. And that's so close to us. Yes. I had no idea about this either. So at the very beginning, I mentioned the French ship Le Griffin mm-hmm. that just vanished. That is what I had originally found online. And I was like, I'm going to dive into this. I think this could be a cool episode. Mm-hmm. And as I was researching it and diving in, I'm finding more and more ships that are going missing. And they're all on Lake Michigan. And I was like, why the fuck are all of these ships going missing? On Lake Michigan. But then I started finding planes that were going missing. And I was like, this is very weird. And then I found a PDF document about someone from a university that wrote about the Michigan Triangle. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Michigan Triangle? I never fucking heard of that. So then I started diving into the Michigan Triangle. And oh my God, it was a ride, let me tell you. Yeah, that sounds like you started from the very beginning. <laughs> God damn. So my research completely changed from the vanishing Le Griffin French ship in the 1600s to literally doing a whole S episode on the Michigan Triangle. Mm. And it was a very long episode. But I mean, we had been gone for two weeks. Yeah. Here you go. Here's a really long episode to get you through. And... um. I don't know. It was fun researching. Mm-hmm. It was and fun listening to. Good. Yeah. I'm so glad it was fun listening to. Yeah. You did it. <laughs> you fucking made it. I'm All never. That stress. Yeah, I'm never procrastinating like that again. I literally <laughs> started writing on Friday. Yeah. Can't do that again. As for what is to come in January, I don't know. I procrastinated this. I can't tell you what I'm going to do next week. <laughs> but follow us on Instagram. You can see photos related to the case. Like I was showing Dyson throughout this episode. Photos of the Thomas Hume and pictures of the triangle and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And also uh, when I decide what our schedule will be like for January, I'll be posting that. So on Instagram, Dark Adaptation Podcast. And um, yeah, you know, we got the usual. We got a website. Mm-hmm. Darkadaptationpodcast.ca. Yeah. We got sources there. We got a shop. Got a shop? Buy a patch, okay? All Do right. it. $14, yeah. no tax, free shipping. It's beautiful. It's embroidered. Buy it. Love you. Thank you. Here's to 2023. Let's do this shit. Let's make it a great year. As we end this episode, I'm going to reach out to Spoil Zippor. I'm going to tell him that we're collaborating this year. Yeah, it's going to happen. And I don't know, fucking catch you on the dark side. Bye. Bye. Bye.